So I have a really cool opportunity this morning to welcome up a brother of mine from Calvary Chapel, Pomona Valley. So I love what the Lord is doing. I, I don't know if you guys, how many of you guys have been with us a real long time, but I think this is only the second person we've had. Oh yeah, Charlie Campbell and Ian once before. So this is the third person I've given a Sunday morning to to say, hey, come teach. It's a big thing for me because I don't just hand the pulpit to anyone. <laughs> I believe that it's someone that's got to be rooted in the word, filled with the spirit, and excited to share with the body what the Lord has for him, amen? And I'll tell you, Jose is a guy that I've done ministry with for years. Uh, I, we've been blessed to serve at Calvary Chapel, Pomona Valley. Him and his family were coming out to for Thanksgiving and they were going to be here anyways and the Lord laid it on our hearts the leadership's heart to kind of give him this this morning to share what the Lord may have on his heart and I'm excited to hear what it is I believe we're going to be in first Samuel 14 this morning so we're taking a break from Romans we'll be back in Romans next week Lord willing but with that said please welcome up my brother Jose Valle <laughs> Thank you, brother. Thank you. Go for it. You got your <laughs> uh, I told him not to hype me up, because if, if I fall flat on my face, it's going to look just horrible on him. So, uh, so uh, yes, uh, First uh, Samuel chapter 14, please open your Bibles there. And it's, uh, we'll pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you for uh, this day. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that is always poured out toward us, Lord Jesus. And we ask now that you would bless this time. Bless, bless your word, Father. It doesn't come back void. Your word, you highly uh, just lift it above even your own name, Lord. So we ask that we would give it the same um, measure, Father. We give it the same attention. If it's that important to you, Father, it should be so to us. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. This is one of those passages that really just encourages the believer to walk by faith. This often is quoted as Jonathan's venture of faith. And he, when you take those steps, you actually can see the Lord move in mighty, mighty ways. This passage also takes place during one of the most dire times of the nation of Israel. They have just come uh, from under the book of uh, Judges. If, you, if you're familiar with that book, it is, uh, for lack of a better word, they're a dumpster fire. They are. They're just, just progressively worse and worse. But it's during those times that God can be seen the most clearly. It's in those times where God can reveal uh, what he can truly accomplish in the lives of those who trust him and him alone. And Jonathan is one of those amazing people in scripture. Often overlooked and has a tragic end. But this passage, and this passage in particular, really does highlight his faith, his trust in the, in the Lord that would later on knit him so closely to David. These men had other people, uh, other spirit, like the, how the Lord referred to uh, Caleb in the book of Joshua, so the, uh, not Joshua, uh, in the book of uh, Deuteronomy, where he says, Caleb has a different spirit than the other people. That's Jonathan. He definitely has that. So let's uh, read the first five verses together of 1 Samuel chapter 14. And it says, and now it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young men who bore his armor, come, 
Let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of Ahitu, uh, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, was wearing the ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan had sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one was uh, Boaz, and the other name was Sena. The front of one faced the northward uh, opposite of Michmash, and the other southward the opposite of Gibeah. I'm going to stop there. It starts off with saying that on a certain day, uh, the, the Hebrews suggest that it was just an ordinary day. There's nothing to distinguish it from uh, the day before, the days to come. It's just an ordinary day. But it was the heart of one man that would turn this day into something absolutely extraordinary. It was one man and his armor bearer, who doesn't even get a name. This guy is lost to the annals of history. It's, we focus mostly on Jonathan, but there are two men who decided to walk by faith. And when everyone else did not do what God had called them to do, these two were willing to do it. It says that they decided to go up to the, area, to the garrison of Michmash. And if you're familiar with the previous chapter of, uh, of 1 Samuel, you would immediately understand how insane this is. See, in, in chapter 13, verse 5, it says, that, uh, the garrison of Enmichmash, that there was 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and people which numbered the sands of the sea. And Jonathan just told his ar armor bearer, that's where we're heading at. Under any under, under circumstances, that does not sound like the best of plans. There's two men over several thousand, just chariots, not counting the people riding the chariots, just the chariots, 30,000. But he was willing to do it. It says that Jonathan didn't tell his father, and there's a lot of debate why he didn't do that. There's a lot of debate whether, why didn't jo uh, Jonathan tell his uh, father that he was going up there? And, or, and nobody else, too. It's only one other individual that he tells. It's his armor bearer. No one else inside the camp knew that he left. Some people said that he should have, that he should have obeyed his, like been honoring his father and, t and told him. Others said that he was acting because Saul wouldn't. All I can give you is what, what I think that I can pull from Scripture why Jonathan chose not to. And I would give you this. In, in chapter 13 of the book of Samuel, it says that Saul chose 3,000 of the best men for himself. And yet he only gives of those 3,000, uh, 1,000 to his son. And of the two armies, one being larger than the other, only Jonathan's attacks the enemy. Saul doesn't. But yet Saul goes and he blows the trumpet. Essentially taking credit because it says uh, Jonathan attacked the city. It says Saul uh, blew the trumpet. It says that Israel knew that Saul had to attack the Philistines. But that's not what the text says. It says Jonathan did. Saul was prone to, to take credit. Saul was prone to go after the glory. We'll see that throughout the entirety where he, if anyone undermines him, especially when this young little shepherd boy shows up later on, 
anyone undermines his authority, he is quick to act, and several spears were tossed at that little shepherd boy. One of the other things, too, that we can derive from the, the, the text is the, the nature and the heart of Saul at this point in time. It says, um, Jonathan, if you guys know what the name Jonathan means, in the Hebrew it's Yohanathan, which means Jehovah is given. That's Jonathan's name, powerful name, right? Yohanathan, the Jehovah has given. And yet the name that's associated with Saul is not that name. It gives you a list of people who were the, the priests, right? It says uh, Ahijah, that's the, the son of Ahitu. And then instead of saying just the son of Phineas, who's the son of Eli, it takes a detour up to the, to the left and it says, who, is, who was the brother? It says Ahitu was the brother of Ichabod. And to the, 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 the brain, you would remember that name. It's, it comes out earlier. It was a name that was given when the Ark of the Covenant when it was taken out to battle, when it absolutely shouldn't have, in, uh, in several passages in, in Exodus, Numbers, uh, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, it says the, the Ark of the Covenant was never supposed to go to conflict. And the one time that it does, it was Phineas and his brother who did so, and they were both killed. They were both killed in that conflict. And as the news that came that the, uh, his dad was dying, and the ark was taken away. His mother named him, as he was being born, Ichabod. The word in the Hebrew literally means that there is no glory. Or the glory has departed is another way you can translate that. So the name associated with Saul is one that means the glory has not departed. Because the Holy Spirit didn't need to put Ichabod in that train of, of succession amongst the priests. But the Holy Spirit chose to, to let us know what is going on in the heart of Saul. Because we know earlier in that passage in chapter 13 that Saul didn't seek God. Saul didn't seek God. In fact, he offers a sacrifice himself because Samuel was just a little bit late. And so that's the heart of Saul right now. And though Jonathan is his son, Jonathan knew that Saul was not a good leader. In fact, when he, later on, David is the anointed king of Israel. Later on, when David is forced to flee, Jonathan meets with David in chapter 19, where he says, I know that the kingdom has been given to you. And he says, and I will stand by your side. Jonathan knew who amongst the two was a solid leader, who would honor God. And so, that's why I believe Jonathan doesn't tell Saul. He doesn't tell Saul because Saul wouldn't act. Even though he had the larger of the two armies, he didn't move. Instead, he sat, and it says right here, that he's still sitting under a pomegranate tree with 600 men around him. And yet, Saul, uh, uh, Jonathan, only has his armor bearer. And it was not that... Saul wasn't equipped. Again, in that previous passage, said the Philistines took all the weapons from the Israelites. And yet, two men had spear and sword in their hand. Jonathan and his father Saul. So of the people who should be able to fight, those who should be equipped to fight, those who should be fighting, 
only once thought to go against the enemy. Only one. And he did it alone. Please understand, those who are weak of leadership, those who choose not to do what God's called them to do, because also remember this, Saul is the anointed king of Israel. If you choose not to do what God has called you to do, if you choose to just sit idly by, it is the people who are closest to you who suffer. Your home, your communities, your church, if you choose not to act, if you choose not to get into the fight, it is those who are closest to you who will always pay the price. Proverbs 29, verse 2, it says this, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when the wicked man rules, the people groan. Again, in Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 1 through 4, it says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel against my shepherds who feed my people. You have scattered my flock, driven them away, and have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for the evil things. Which, just imagine that, God telling you that. You haven't done what you are supposed to do, then I'm going to do to you something. I don't want to be on the receiving end of that. That's terrifying. <laughs> he says, but I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries that I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their folds, that they shall be fruitful and increase. I will set my shepherds over them who will feed them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, nor shall they be any, uh, have any lack, says the Lord. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, If a man who does not know how to rule his own home, how will he take care of the church of God? I say this to you. If you're not willing to step up, if you're not willing to do what God's called you to do, simply put, God will choose someone else. Billy Graham said that. Billy Graham says, I was not God's first choice. Just imagine that. He wasn't numero uno. Someone else was. But someone else stepped aside, and we saw the work that Billy Graham did. Same thing, Saul, anointed king of Israel. Who should be the one leading the charge? Who should be the one fighting? Who has a sword in his hand? We don't see that. We see his son instead acting. Let's read the next uh, few uh, verses, uh, uh, verses 6 through 10. It says, And Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord by saving by many or by few. So his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Go then there, uh, here, and I am with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, Very well. Let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, wait until we come to you, then we shall stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has delivered them into our hand, and, and this will be a sign to us. Stop there. He says, uh, let's go over there and fight them. He does this amazing thing where he says, 
that it may be that the Lord will work for us. And this is not like a, 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 like a, a vision of doubt. This is a statement of faith because he knew it wasn't his power that would determine this. It was dependent fully on God. He expected neither in his own strength nor his own merit. He's just like David in regard. This is why I, when, when they says that when, uh, it says that when Jonathan heard David speak, it says their hearts were knit together as one. And it's things like this when Jonathan says that. It reminds me of what David says in, in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 47. He says, Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's. He will give it into our hands. Similar to what Jonathan said, right? Not by, it doesn't matter how many people we have. It doesn't how many few people we have. It just matters who is fighting for us. That's the determining fact. Who is the one that's going to win this victory? Jonathan knows it's not him. He says, who's going to work for us today? Hopefully it's the Lord. We're going to go see, we're going to spy this out, and if it's the Lord, there's nothing that can stop us. None of those entire garrison of Philistine soldiers are going to accomplish a single thing against us if God is on our side this day. And so, Jonathan uh, goes and he makes this, uh, the, the second statement, which he says, by few or by many, right? Where does he come up with that? Where does Jonathan get that in his head that it doesn't matter the number? Where does Jonathan pull this from, this, this idea that it doesn't matter how great an army or how little an army? I will tell you it comes simply from the Word. Jonathan must have been a student of the Word. He must have knew and, and studied Israel's history. He must have knew this type of God. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and forth throughout all the entire earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. That's a powerful passage. God's eyeballs are scanning to see someone stand in the place in which he can use them, and that is the way God will show himself strong on their behalf. Tell you, family, let's be those people. That's what he's telling us this day. He wants us to be like Isaiah. Listen, Isaiah says this in chapter 6, verse 8. He says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I, Isaiah speaking himself, said, Here I am. Send me. No hesitation. No hesitation to be sent to a nation that had rejected God. He was hand up first. That's the type of person Jonathan was. He knew, he had seen, he had read, he had read men, of men like Joshua, who had armies behind him. He had read of men like Gideon, 300 men God used to defeat an entire army. But I tell you this, he also read of men like Ehud. I see a lot of blank faces at the name of Ehud. Okay, how about this guy? Shamgar. <laughs> I'm still drawing blanks. <laughs> Shamgar is one of my favorite guys in the Bible. He literally has only two verses about him. Judges chapter 3 verse 31 and a song by Deborah in Judges chapter 5 verse 6. And it says, and especially this is poignant, we're talking about the Philistine. This says that Shamgar by himself, one man, killed 600 Philistine men with an ox goad. You know what ox code is? Simply a pointy stick. Look up Shamgar and click images. You will not be disappointed. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
It's just one man on a hill just wiping out. There was an immediate evil version of this, and I was impressed. I actually want a picture of that. I want a like, framed copy of Shamgar just killing individuals one after another. And he, too, acted when no one else did. It says that the highways and the byways are empty. And it says that it was at that time in which Shamgar acted. A man when no one else would, he did. And so he goes on to continue to say, like, okay, here, we're going to show ourselves to the Philistine garrison. We're going to pop our head. There was just two rocks on the side. One's uh, Boanizis and the other one's Senna, and it means uh, glittery uh, or shimmering. It's like more of a chalky color. And the other one's thorny, meaning more craggy-looking rock. And this was a, a perfect pass to go through there because it would allow a narrow uh, interaction between soldiers. And so he says, we're just going to poke our head out there and see what happens. If they say, hey, we're going to go down to there to you, we're going to do nothing. We're going to go home. But if they say, come up to us, then we know that God has given us a hand. And so this isn't like Gideon, where Gideon had the explicit word of God. Gideon was told by God several times that he was going to be used to deliver them, uh, the Israelites from the Midianites. And then he's like, well, here's a... Uh, you know, some fur, can you make it wet? No, he already had the word of God. Jonathan, he doesn't have that. He has the mission. He knows that they're supposed to fight the enemy, but he doesn't have the direct orders on whether or not he should. It reminds me of, of uh, the book of Acts. You guys are familiar with that. We just, you guys just went through that, right? Well, chapter 16, verses 6 through 10, it says that Paul tried to go to several countries, and this is the spirit forbid him. It's constantly, it's like, I want to go here? No. I want to go here, though. It's not until some guy has a vision in which it's like, hey, we need help. That's when Paul knows to go there. And the same thing is there with Paul. He had the marching orders. Go out throughout the entire world and the outermost parts of the earth, making disciples of all nations, right? That's the marching orders. He just didn't know where to go. Same thing with Jonathan. He knows the, the strategy. We need to attack the Philistines. But he's wondering whether or not it's him that should do it and whether or not it should be this day. And so he gives it to this Lord. He gives it to the Lord and the armor bearer. <laughs> the armor bearer, again, I, I really feel for this guy because he says, um, whatever's in your heart, whatever's in your heart, we'll do it. Which sounds nice. Like, he's, oh, this guy's a yes man. No, he's not. It's two against 30,000. That's not a yes man. He simply said, if God is in this, I'm going with you to our death. He signed his own death warrant. The moment he said, the moment he said, hey, we're going to go together, we not may, might not make it back. And that's who you need in your life. You guys need individuals in your life who would tell you straight and, if necessary, go with you all the way. You had guys like Paul and Barnabas. You have, again, David and Jonathan, uh, Joshua and Caleb. You had these powerful men who were always with another person who were willing to tell them up front. David will later have uh, the man Nathan, right? He's the one that calls him out on his sin. You need a guy like that in your life. Women, you need the same thing. You need someone solid who you can trust. You can just tell you straight up. Before I came here uh, to share the word with you guys, uh, when I was talking with Rex about it, I went and I talked to a, a man uh, who's a pastor at, our, at the Pomona Valley. His name is Tony. Uh, see, look, look from Lisa over the Mac. <laughs> but I know he will shoot straight with me. 
I know that if I ask him a question, he won't beat around the bush. He will tell me everything that I, I have did wrong that day, yesterday, and the day before. And so I asked him, I think that I should do this thing. Should I step out in this direction? And he says, yeah, definitely. Took me by my hands and prayed with me that at that moment, you need someone like that. You need an armor bearer. Someone who can bear the brunt with you. Fight shoulder to shoulder with you. He has that. He has this man. Let's read the next uh, couple of verses, verses 11 through 15. And it says, So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, Look, the Hebrews come out of the holes where they have hidden. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us, and we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. And Jonathan climbed up on his hands and his knees with his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan as he came after him. His armor bearer killed them. That first slaughter, remember that word, that first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor bearer made was about 20 men in about a half an acre of land. And there was a trembling in the camp, in the field, and amongst the people. The garrison and the raiders also trembled, and the earth quaked, so that it was a very great trembling. Just imagine that. Imagine Jonathan, they poke up his head out of the, behind the rocks. They tell him, hey, look at the Israelites are hiding in, uh, they were hidden in caves. We saw that in chapter 13. It says that after the, the, the Philistines showed the full brunt of their might, it says immediately after that, so many people left and they hid. They went into caves. And so here, when he sees these two uh, uh, Jewish boys pop their heads out from behind a rock, they're like, oh, they finally popped out of there. These gophers, these meerkats, uh, you know, Groundhog, whatever whole loving rodent you want to pick. That's what they called them. And he said, come up here and let us show you something. Literally in the Hebrew it means we're going to teach you a lesson. But when he said come up, in my mind, in my head canon, a smile broke on Jonathan's face from ear to ear. He's all, hoo they, they're ours. They want to, you're gonna, you want to mess around? You're about to learn. That's what's, gonna, that's what's happening right now. You want to pick a fight? You have no idea who you're fighting with. And they're about to learn who they're fighting against. In a very real sense. They go up there and it says he, so it's not even like a strategic like, uh, advantage. He has to climb hand and foot up a steep rocky surface to get to the garrison. But as soon as he hits the landing, body stop dropping. I don't, I'm not familiar with how big a half acre is. I live in an apartment building. So uh, in terms of land mass, I'm not familiar. But 20 bodies in the half acre sounds like a lot. And that's what happened. As he would cut through one man, the armor bearers went there, getting the other. And bodies are just dropping. And, says, and people started to fear. It says the, 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 the individuals are starting to wax faint. And they're like, they're, the people are just dropping. And, and it says the individuals start to just, they're trembling. They're literally, it's, they're so terrified at the prospect of what's happening right now 
it says the, the, the soldiers and also the, the raiders, those who would be the, the, the horsemen, they're scared. But they don't know how many people are in the camp. It's two guys, remember that. It's not, not an entire army, it's two guys just dropping them like flies. But the, the, what really puts a fear in them, it says as they're terrified of what's going on and they're starting to quake, it says the very earth itself moved. Just imagine that. People are dying around you. You have no idea where the enemy's coming from. And then the earth moves itself. They learn this day who was fighting for them. This is not the first time that God has done this. In Joshua chapter 10, verse 11, it says that God came down and started raining hailstones upon their heads. It said God killed more soldiers that day than the army did. You get Judges chapter 4, verse 15, in which Barak, the good one, not the one we had before, the, as he's fighting in the plain, it says a, stor uh, a storm comes and sweeps away uh, the enemy. And it causes such a mass confusion, and it's attributed to the Lord. The Lord fought with them. Judges chapter 7, it says that Gideon, all he does is crack open a pot. And the people were so terrified at the, at the number of pots and trumpets being blown that they start to kill each other. They start to just start, like, they think their neighbor is fighting against them. When teaching that story, I taught the book of Judges to the junior high students because of, I'm that guy. And so, actually, there they are right there, <laughs> my former students, and now I'm teaching their parents odd transition. But when teaching them that story, the first question they ask is like, could they be naked? I'm like, what do you want to know? He's like, well, they were sleeping. They woke up, started fighting each other. Yes, yes, probably they're fighting naked. Just, let's move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. Those are the questions, the, the deep things that the, the junior high students want to know about <laughs> when considering a text of the Bible. <laughs> But do you know that the Lord fights for you too the same manner? He does. Several times in Scripture we read that. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, it says, The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down of strongholds. Mighty in God, not your might. It's not by your power, it's not by your might. It's by His Spirit, that says the Lord, right? Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, it says this, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our fight is not with those here on earth. But sometimes it seems that way, right? Sometimes it seems like these people out there are our enemy, but to tell you that they're not, they're no more than prisoners of war that need to be rescued. They, we have a real enemy. It literally goes by the name, the adversary. That's our enemy. And it's not in our strength whatsoever that we can defeat him. We need the, the Lord, the God of heaven and earth, who can move mountains, who can stop the sun in the sky, who can make it rain fire from heaven. Same God. He hasn't changed. He's the same God who fights for you today. Remember that. Remember when those things are, when difficulties do happen. And I tell you this because personally right now I'm experiencing that. 
came here with my family. Flew in uh, to Love Field a couple of days ago, and as I was preparing uh, this study, I got it done and accomplished. I finished up all the, the finalization of it yesterday, and I sent James all the, the particulars of it. Well, this morning at about 12.30, my uh, youngest daughter woke up vomiting. I have no idea. I think it's probably uh, food poisoning. Because around 4 o'clock, my son started vomiting. They went out together and they ate food together. I didn't go out with them. I was studying. Then my wife. My wife that's why she's not here with me today. Uh, she started to vomit uh, shortly before we were getting ready to... Uh, to come here. So understand, if you're going to get into the fight, you're going to get punched in the face. But just like the, the saying goes, I got my dad behind me. He fight for me. And that's why I can stand before you today and give you this message. So understand that. It wasn't Jonathan that was going to win this fight. It wasn't his armor bearer. They were just starting the fight. Someone else was finishing it. And amen to that. Amen to that. Let's read the next couple of uh, verses, uh, verses 16 through 20. And it says, Now the watchmen of Saul, of Saul and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and there was a multitude melting away. <laughs> And they were here and there. And Saul said to the people who were with him, Now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And they were called the roll. Surprisingly, Jonathan's armor bearer were not there. And Saul said uh, to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God, uh, for the ark of, of God was with the children, uh, children of Israel. Now it happened when Saul talked to the priest that the noise which uh, was in the camp of the Philistines continued and increased until so Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled and they went to the battle and indeed every man's sword was against his neighbor and there was a very great confusion that stopped there. The contrast between uh, Jonathan and Saul can't be more different. It really can't. Where, where Jonathan refused to move unless God confirmed it. Though he was courageous, he was cautioned. He didn't move unless he was absolutely certain. We see Saul, who had both the priest who bore the ephod and the Ark of the Covenant near him. Both were near him. Did not once seek the Lord. It says that when they, when they actually had an opportunity to do so, it says that there was such a calamity going out above them. It was just like bodies were melting is what it say there. Like it was like such chaos that when he asked the priest, hey, consult to the Lord. But as soon as the noise grew even louder, he's like, never mind, we need, we need to move. And never, never more is that such a dangerous thing. Saul was always like that. You see that from the very beginning in which he had very little idea of who God is. When looking for Samuel, he didn't even know that there was a seer called Samuel that lived in Ramah. It was his buddy who told him about it. When he, when, when he was told by Samuel to wait until I get there, just because he was slightly late, at the urging of the people, he offered a sacrifice that he was not supposed to. The priest and the, and the king were supposed to be separate. There was a distinction between the two. 
and here with both the Ark of the Covenant and the high priest there. He doesn't. Proverbs 29 verse 18 says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keeps the law, happy is he. Proverbs chapter 3 verses uh, 5 through 6 is one of those amazing verses that we all know. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not all on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't trust in your heart. Your heart is deceitfully wicked above all things who can know it. The Lord says he alone searches the hearts and minds of men. The, the word there that's used there is incurably wicked. So if someone ever comes up to you and like, brother, just follow your heart. Tell that person to leave immediately. <laughs> just tell them to go away. It says, trust in the Lord with every part of your body. Literally, the word in the Hebrew means the will. That's what the heart means. It's the part of you that drives you. It's that part you trust in Him and Him alone. Saul had the opportunity, refused. Jonathan had the opportunity and obeyed. And look at the, what he's getting, the victory. When Saul shows up, literally the enemy is fighting itself. He can't even do anything. He has no part to play in this conflict. He just stands there and looks as a spectator. Because he refused to move in the beginning. He refused to seek the Lord. And now he's looking at a victory happy before his own eyes in which he will not take part of. In fact, this would drive him in the next section after this. We're not going to cover that. I wish we could if we had the time. But he makes a horrible oath to the, to the effect in which it damns his own son. Because he's just, just nothing more than a bystander in his own story. We need to focus all of our attention, all of our drive upon the Lord, his will. Saul did, and he was sitting underneath that tree. It says a pomegranate tree. And in the Hebrew imagery, pomegranate trees symbolize victory. He was sitting under a fake victory that he didn't earn. And he will never achieve. We need to seek the Lord. And if you want to serve in any magnitude, and especially the men, listen to me, listen to me. Your leaders of your home. This verse should be, if possible, tattooed on you so you can always read it. Preferably on the forehead. So that way you can go in there and wash your face. Like, trust in the Lord all your might. Because it is absolute must as a man to have this verse imprinted upon you. You can't trust in anything of yourself. For you lead a family. And you're part of a church. You lead a congregation. You're part of a community. You lead there. You cannot cannot lean at all in terms of your own understanding. You have to seek the Lord and you have to have his vision. So let's read uh, the next passage of uh, verses 21 to 23. And moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before at that, uh, that time went up with them 
into the camp from the surrounding country, they also joined the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. Likewise, all the men of Israel who hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard the Philistines fled, they also followed after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth Avon. That's a powerful passage right there. Hope you guys caught it. It says that Jonathan was fighting, and because he was fighting, he was having this great and mighty victory. It says those who had switched over to the other side. So during that, that fleeing of the, of the Israelites, the 3,000 that had left and left only 600, of those remaining that had left, some of them had defected. Picture that. They went because they thought the other side was going to win. That's a ridiculous statement to make. Did they not remember who the Lord was? Obviously, they didn't because the Philistines were going to win. They hitched their horse to a wrong wagon. But when they saw the, the, the tides turn, it says they came out. I'm reminded of, of, of Romans chapter 11, verses 13 through 14, where it says, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are of, the fle of my flesh, the Jews, to save some of them. That's what's happening here. Jonathan's over there, it's like a whirling dervish, just killing people left and right. And the people see it happening, they're like, oh, jumping on the other side. That is what's going on. They were being stirred. Look at they are achieving victory. We want to be a part of it. It says those who hid in the rocks, those who had, those were the true gophers, those guys that were down there, the, the groundhogs, those guys popped their heads out this time for real and were like, we're going to handle business now. We're winning. And strangely enough, this is where I relate. Let me tell you a quick story of my brother Ricky. My brother Ricky uh, was, came to the Lord uh, against all my understanding. I thought he was going to die homeless like, in the streets. I just did. I thought he was addicted to drugs. He was homeless, and I thought that's where he was going to die. I remember crying out to the Lord very specifically, Lord, if you do not do something, my brother's going to die out there. He did. My brother went to a, uh, a, facility, a facility that's called the Set Free Church of the High Desert over there in California, in which he got introduced into the Lord who loved him so. And then he began to serve him with such passion that it made his older brother look the fool. For I've been at Calvary Chapel Pomona Valley for 13 years, but I've only served at Calvary Chapel Pomona Valley for four years. If you do the math, that's eight years in which I did absolutely nothing. Much to my dismay. Wasted time. I was hiding in a cave. Made a bunch of excuses. It was their fault. I didn't want to do it. Been burned before. It's excuses. I complained. I complained. It says in chapter 13, it says the Israelites cried out to the Lord for deliverer. They got Saul, who was supposed to deliver them. And instead of actually fighting in the conflict, ran and hid in a cave. That was me. I had a deliverer who called me to serve. I was serving him in both the high school and uh, ministry. But because I got hurt one time, I ran in a cave and hid. And then my Jonathan showed up. My brother came out swinging. Serving in the New Believers Ministry. Helping the homeless, give, passing out food. Telling me to my face, brother, everything you told me, I get it. While I'm sitting there underneath the pomegranate tree, I looked a fool. 
And so I asked the Lord, if you want me to do anything, send me someone who will. And that man, Tony, showed up. And I'm not going back in no cave. I'm telling you that right now. And because of that, because I decided to fight, I've been punched in the face a couple of times and I've been in the hospital uh, for about a week <laughs> since then. It's fun, I guess. Food's horrible. Don't, don't, I don't recommend it. We see that in Scripture. When one man acts, others will go. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 47 says this, Then all the assembly, sh assembly should know that the Lord does not save by sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. He will give you into, your, into our hands. The whole assembly, when you start to act, when you step into the place where the Lord has called you to be, it is not just you who's blessed, it's those around you who see it. And they'll be stirred in the heart to do to act, to fight with you. That is what this is all about. It's about stirring up others. We see Jonathan, he doesn't, he's not, he didn't know this was going to be the byproduct, but it is. He didn't know that if he stepped out to fight against the enemy, all he did was, the Lord wants me to do this, I'm going to do it today. And look it, I get blessed by bonus. Others will just join alongside me. And last time I came out here, I came out here two years ago, we were in a living room. I was one of three families and I was visiting. And now look at what the Lord has done. Two years the Lord has brought this about. Not uh, as much as I love Pastor James, uh, it's not him. It's the Lord. He brought this about. He brought people who fought alongside my brother. This is his doing. Just be like Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works but glorify your Father in heaven. That's what it's about. You do the work that honors the Lord and He gets all the glory. Why? There's one more reason why we also fight. I said there's a world out there that needs rescue, right? The reason why we fight against the enemy so hard reason why we step to it so like so aggressively and we need to is because they're dying out there and they need to see people live the life of God out there they need it this is what it says in first Samuel chapter 17 verse 47 after David uh, goes up against the giant it says this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you and take your head from you David was one of those guys who didn't have a sword so just imagine what he means when he says he's gonna take the head of the giant he says, and this day I will give your carcasses to the, uh, the camp of the Philistines, to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Understand that. That's why we fight. There's a world out there that needs to know that there's a God. That God is Jesus Christ. And they need you to be the example to them by fighting the fight when no one else will. That's what they need right now. They need you. They need you to stand for them. To show them. We see a world that's drastically, drastically going down the drain. I have a 10-year-old son. And I was hearing some sort of new nonsense, some sort of weird pronoun or whatever that came out this week. And I looked to my son and I go, I feel sorry for you that you're growing up in this generation. I did. That was actually, those are the words that came out of my mouth to my 10-year-old my son while he was over there playing Minecraft. 
I was prepping that week to teach uh, Exodus chapter 1 at the sanctuary at, our, at the Church of Pomona Valley. And as I was prepping, I see these two women who were uh, midwives. The Lord gifted them families in a time in which it would be absolutely ridiculous to have a family. And the Lord really, really just shut my mouth that day. Every single one of you here is in this generation for this purpose alone. I'm reminded what Mordecai tells Esther in Esther chapter 4, verse 14. He says, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from some other place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Every single one of you in this room is in this generation to save that. It's true. I don't lie to you. Every single one of you in this room, including you guys up there, are here. God has chosen you to be here in this generation, as bonkers as it is out there. You are here to help and preach the gospel to them. And if Jonathan is not a good enough example, well, let me give you another good example. Jesus Christ, who is like Jonathan in every way. Jesus Christ came to, a, to a, a world in which it was a dire situation. He came and he fought alone. And as he fought, others came and joined him. First 12. Then we see 70. Then 120. Then 3,000. And then the whole world got turned upside down. There is your righteous example. If Jonathan isn't good enough, then Jesus should be. Jesus came in a horrible generation in which he said, will there be faith here? But you are here in this generation. This is your world out there to save. By his gospel alone, right? His gospel has the power to save and every single one of you right now has this in some form or fashion in your hands, be it electronically or sweet, sweet leather like I do. Who you choose to be this day? Those hiding in caves? God forbid you guys be the other guys who jump to the other side. Will you be those who sit underneath the pomegranate tree pretending to be victorious when you're not? Or will you be like Jonathan? Will you fight when no one else will? It doesn't matter of age. Jonathan was roughly about 16 years old at this time. It's the time they went out to war. And if you're like, well, I'm not 16 years old. Caleb was 85 years old when he said, let me get that mountain right now. No excuse. Your God is big enough to fight for you and through you for them out there. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and in your name, Lord, we ask that you would send your spirit right now upon us, Lord. Lord, that we respond to the word. You would open up our hearts to all that you have to do, Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that you would make us bold for you. Make us fight, Lord. Make us warriors. Prepare us, Lord, for we step out in that battlefield 
we're going to get hit. But you defend us, Lord. And it's your name we pray.